We're back. We're it's exciting. It's another album. Who are we? What's going on? Well, I, I am Ali, and you are. Uh, I'm Lynn, and this is Gentlemen Don't Get Caught, a podcast that's about REM. We've made it to the fifth full album somehow. Yes, and I know that because it has a five on the cover, which is very helpful. Oh, it's, it's really handy. I don't know why they didn't do that to the rest of the albums. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Counting is hard. <laughs> this is very true. We're here to talk about documents, and specifically about Finest Work Song, the first song on Document. Will it be our finest hour? Uh... I'll be shocked if this podcast is an hour, and probably See, not. now I'm just taking that as a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone's got to edit this, and that someone is me. <laughs> lucky, lucky you. It felt great starting to listen to this album, been listening through it. It feels like reconnecting with an old friend. Oh, likewise. Yeah, this is one that I'm definitely more familiar with. I think I might have said on a previous episode, may even be the last episode we did that this was probably like the second rem album that i mm-hmm. bought so yes i have listened to this many times on the antiquated format that is cds they came to market in the 80s alley it's so long ago right 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 so it probably was like i don't know it might have been one of the first ones that they released on cd maybe what year is this from lynn 87 87 yeah yeah, yeah. i think Yes. Well, it's in Green's 89. I was pretty sure Green... I didn't really know. Green's 89, I'm pretty certain. But, and Lightswitch Pageant's 86, I'm pretty certain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 87 or 88. Yeah. Now, I'm looking on Spotify and it says 87. And, of course, they are never wrong. Hail our Green Masters. <laughs> Quite. It's too, it, was, it was both funny and then sad. And then I didn't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, no judgment, listener. If... We are coming to you through Spotify, but they are also the Dark Green Lords. (laughs) What are we talking about? Find this work song. Yes! How would you describe the sound of this song? It's a bit it's a bit rocky. It's a bit like more conventionally rocky. Yeah. Than I think anything we've experienced. Yes. I mean there's kind of like a harder, like rocky edge to the beginning. Um Mm -hmm. Song, especially the early songs on the previous album, Life's Rich Pageant. But this isn't, this doesn't rock as hard, but it's kind of a, it's a bit more like stadium y. Yeah. And in fact, I said it has an edge to it, and that wasn't really intended as a pun, but, (laughs) but it definitely has a distinctly U2 ish feel, especially to the guitars. A, yeah, I was going to say that the the the, the lyricism, the vocals don't sound very YouTube. But, no, um, but no, yeah, no. that guitar and that intro. Yes, there's a lot of kind of like delay, and there's even towards the end, you've got some. I mean, obviously skipping ahead to the, mm-hmm. here uh, to the outro. There's some guitar harmonics, which is something that the Edge used to do a lot on like earlier. U2 albums and that's basically like it's a technique uh, where instead of like fretting a string on the guitar and like pressing it pressing the string to mm-hmm. to the the fretboard you like lay a finger or like place a finger like at certain points along the length of the string mm-hmm. down the neck 
and don't hold it down and then hit the string and kind of like and sort of like pull and then as you strike it you kind of pull your finger off the string and it creates like this very ethereal kind of like ringing sound that it's it's a very cool technique it's it's slightly more difficult than like regularly fretting uh, and it's and it doesn't normally have like a it's it's not a technique that you use like if you're playing a folk song for example mm. normally because it's it's more of like a it's almost like a guitar special effect but yeah it's something that edge used to do and, and it's something that happens at the end of this song it sounds super cool and when i used to play the guitar more regularly i would just if i was just jamming sometimes i would just do them because i was like this sounds cool and this is fun it doesn't sound like good like a song but it's fun to do anyway i'm rambling but it's yes. all right carry on there's sort of like a sort of chuggy kind of rhythm to it it's like it's not particularly fast i'd say it's almost like stately okay i think stately almost implies something a little slower yeah like i mean it kind of marches along but it's not like breakneck yeah maybe stately su- suggests slower than it actually is but yeah i think there's even some like slide guitar in there uh, somewhere as well so yeah it's it's interesting on the on the musical front and it's it's quite cat like yeah i'd say quite catchy yeah i think that's fair i don't i'm trying not to get ahead of myself and think it's not the song that i found catchiest <laughs> right 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 but yeah there is a certain kind of like rhythm to it that that gets in your head yeah maybe if not catchy like accessible like it's not like it's not like the opening track to uh, Fables of the Reconstruction, Fables, which, was, yeah. which was quite like, ooh, this is dark and strange. Why are you <laughs> opening with this one? It's all weird. This is this is much more, like, immediate. Yeah, I was going to ask how you felt about it as an album opener. I think it's it's a solid choice. I don't know. I'm trying to think like whether I could imagine any other songs from this album being a better opener, and I don't think so. So, yeah, solid, solid choice. I've been trying to ignore the historical context or try to wonder about these things. Because, like, mm. of course, this is their last release on IRS before they switch to major label Warner Brothers. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the summary and at the start of Green. But I wonder how much context there was. Like, was that a thing that was being considered before this album came out? Or was it they've kind of moved to a sound that's a bit more, I don't know, slightly more mainstream, slightly more stadium. That was a good way of describing it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, can we read this as almost like a pitch to like, okay, we're ready to move up to a bigger label now, or? Yeah, or, or not. And I, I just, I, I mean, I don't know the chronology of that, really, or or the intentionality of it, but uh, I couldn't like completely get that out of my mind through some of this thing. And that's not a criticism. Yeah, because I mean, I would say, I don't know, It's it's like, if we look at the album so far, there's sort of, I guess you could say there's been kind of a arc towards accessibility, but it's kind of not not like a straight line because Murmur's a bit weird. Reckoning, yeah. I feel like, is is more accessible. And then... I, I would agree with that. <laughs> and then uh, Fables of the Reconstruction, in some ways, is like a hard, like, we're going to be all weird for an album. <laughs> Yeah, it's that one's got like more kind of like darker, at least musically, tracks on it. Yeah, I feel it's the least accessible, really, of the stuff that we've listened to. Yeah, so yeah. far. Although um, Life Switch Pageant had some weirdness on it, but it it just wasn't like as consistently like weird. I mean, everything's relative. I would say like uh, Fables of the Fables of the Reconstruction isn't exactly like Kid A. <laughs> no. So 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what about the lyrics? The time to rise has been engaged. Why didn't I? That was a great intro. Why didn't I start the intro with that? <laughs> You're the editor. You can slot it in. No one will know. Oh, I feel like such a fraud, Ellie. I feel like I was lying to our audience and to myself. I'm talking here to me alone. I listen to the finest work song. <laughs> sounds exactly the finest like hour. That. I was trying to think of the rest of the lyrics. Like... Uh, that first bit is sort of embedded in my mind. Mm. I hope I haven't got it too wrong. Uh, and then the lyrics, the rest of it, I don't. Re- I can't really know. So the next, the next line goes: "Another chance has been engaged." Okay, yeah. I have never noticed this before. To throw, throw or through. I don't know how you pronounce it in the American way, but <laughs> Louis Louis Theroux. It's not that one. Okay. He wasn't famous then. I don't think. <laughs> And it, was his dad famous by then? I think so. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who his dad is. His dad is Paul Theroux, the travel writer. Oh, okay. Yeah, who I have heard of. I didn't know that. Uh, and I'm forgetting the name of the Theroux that this probably is. Uh, I forget his first name. But he is a 19th century American oh, okay. philosopher and man of letters. Ah, oh, this is going to bother me now. Yeah, he wrote something called Walden. And oh, yeah. Uh, Henry David Thoreau? That's the one. That's that's the chappy. Yeah, I do not know very much about him, but I know that he is incredibly famous mm. in America. And I think he liked hanging out in the woods a lot and with nature and stuff. That's what Walden's about, isn't it? I want to say that's what that's about. Yeah, and in fact, my, the company that I work for used, I think it's Walden that they use, or one of his other books, they actually okay. use it as an example of printing because it's in the public domain. Always handy. Company, yeah, exactly, when you don't want to get sued. So I don't know enough about his uh, philosophy to know why he's being thrown by Michael Stipe, being defenestrated. Well, <laughs> we don't know that there's actually a window involved, but it's just a fun word to say. It certainly is. Not about the most famous defenestration of Prague. There were two. Were there two? I don't really I think know there much were two about what the defenestration of Prague is. I just am vaguely aware of it. Defenestrations of, of Prague, yeah. Man, people were always being chucked out windows in Prague. Yeah. Is that a thing you still have to be wary of if you go to Prague? <laughs> I mean, once this pandemic is over. That would that would be depressing, wouldn't it? Make it survive the great pandemic of 2022 yeah. TBC. Uh, yep. And then go to Prague and be killed by being flung from a window. By a golem. By a golem, no less. Okay, that's all my Prague references. That is that is a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. Um, speaking of golems, I assume that's the correct plural. There sure. is a... Oh, I think it's Ted Chiang uh, who wrote the short story that Arrival was based on. Okay. In... The collection of short stories that that's in, that was lent to me by a good friend of mine called mm. Tegan, who's a big sci-fi person, there was a story uh, that had a golem in it. Uh, I okay. do not remember the details, but I remember that that collection of stories is very good. And yes, definitely get <laughs> get hold of that if you are into some <laughs> sci-fi short stories, which I am normally not, but I know you're... Well, 
I think you you generally read um, more than I do these days, but I do enjoy science fiction. I've probably not. I don't want to. I don't want to embarrass myself too much. <laughs> a few things I've probably read, although I did manage to find myself engaged in a discussion about Ursula Le Guin this oh, week, okay. so that was good. Cool. I have never read any of hers, but I know that she is kind of legendary in. Yeah, well, I've only read, read three, and none of them are Wizard of Earthsea books, which mm. are perhaps her most famous series. And That's... two out of the three, I really enjoyed. Nice. So there's a recommendation. That's that's a pretty solid strike rate. Two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf once <laughs> told us. And I assume he was talking about the Ursula Le Guin books that he'd read. Almost, almost inevitably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, but instead of interpreting Meatloaf, we should probably go back to interpreting <laughs> R.E.M. <laughs> I'll cut this out if it's a bit that I'm embarrassed about, but is this the one that has, um, I believe I'm watching you, I believe I'm watching you, or whatever. Or is that a different one? I think that I have a horrible feeling that might different be a different one. Song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, so ashamed. The time to edit has been engaged. <laughs> <laughs> to choppy chop and rearrange. <laughs> That's how it goes. That's very much how it goes. When you're editing, Lynn, do you mm. take your instinct by the reins? Is that meant to be implying that you, like, rein in your instinct and try and think just purely rationally? Or is that saying that you, like, saddle up? Your instincts. And then just ride them off to war! You ride your instinct, exactly. <laughs> In which case, yes, I like to think of riding my instinct every time I. That sounds, click mild- the edit button. That sounds mildly rude. <laughs> it doesn't help bit. Oh, don't make me click the is this podcast explicit button when I upload it. <laughs> we're watching Junior Bake Off today, and I'm sure that there was a filthy joke in it that they were like, sort of wink at the camera like the kids won't get this. <laughs> and I was like, I think this might be a bit too filthy for Junior Bake Off. Even oh, though the no. kids didn't get what, it, I was like, What did they say I don't know about this? This is gonna. This is definitely gonna earn. This the is definitely e. gonna earn the explicit tag. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So they were making like a tower of shoe pastry things, which is fine. But in the intro, they're like, you can use any sticky edible substance, and then like wink to the camera, and then like the judges started laughing. But I was like, Are they talking about semen? <laughs> This is like really, like, like maybe this is not okay for like half five on Junior Baker uh, in the evening on Junior Baker. Yeah, but it probably would go over the head. I thought you were going to say that the towers were like uh, suspiciously phallic, but um, I mean, none of them were more phallic than any tower generically is. None of them were <laughs> right. particularly phallic, but yeah, it was just it was just a weird moment. Also, does the word phallic earn this <laughs> an explicit No, I think it's okay. Okay. I think it's fine. Because it's a nice scientific word. It's more of an academic, yeah, thing. Yeah. You could say you could say it on in our time. Right, right. <laughs> right. That's my guideline, I guess. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is a that is a good yardstick. Sorry, yardstick also sounds rude. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Anyway, uh, in 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 passing, in passing, I want to like choke slam the Library of Congress's system for transliterating Russian. Now, this will seem like a complete non sequitur, but it is not, okay. Lynn. It is not. Um, and you might know this actually because you're a listener to my other fine podcast that I produce, Response Unite. Plug, plug, plug. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, thank you, good sir. You're welcome. But yes, so the. Uh, <laughs> The Library of Cong- Congress's system for transliterating Russian renders the Russian equivalent of Simon, which is Simeon, 
Mm-hmm. And they decide that it's best spelt in English or in the Latin alphabet as S E M E N because, you know, Simeon. Okay. So there is kind of a logical reason to this. Yeah. If you know Russian, because it, Russian has like a letter that looks like E. Yeah. Except it's a sound is more like yeah. Okay. But the same letter in Russian can also be the sound yo. Right. Uh, and sometimes in Russian, they write it with like what looks like an umlaut over the top, but they don't mm. always. So that means that in the Library of Congress's system of transliterating, they just decide to import this convention of like an E being a yeah or a yo. Okay. So that's why you get... Simeon as being spelt semen. So that was the link. Okay, get it, yeah. I mean, is there a way of unambiguous... Presumably there's a method of unambiguously transliterating it. Yeah, I mean, just spell it how it sounds. I mean, you obviously want to be a bit more systematic, but it just could be any time that letter comes up, just spell it Y-O, because that's basically how it sounds. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway. It, I feel it's Y-O, a fairly un- unambiguous, I guess, sequence of letters in English. For yeah, a language that famously has a thousand ways to pronounce every combination yes, of letters. It, it, yeah, yes. The, <laughs> the English version <laughs> of, yeah, how you pronounce stuff is very crazy and messed up. I guess it's just, just what happens when you kind of try and press a bunch of letters into service for words from a variety of different sources keep it loose that's yeah, how we yeah. like it i guess Who i knows? guess yeah yeah but you will notice if you ever try and learn russian that generally speaking stuff sounds the way it's written mm-hmm. must be nice yeah. yeah it's quite nice yeah they do have this weird thing where the letter g is sometimes a v sound but um apart from that yeah anyway that was Big digression, <laughs> even it was, by, sorry, it was even the finest digression. But yeah, it was the finest. That was that was awesome. Well done. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Also, I did I did say I was aiming to make this episode an hour, so you know I've got to get there somehow. Oh yeah. Well, have you got anything else to say about this song? Um, no, I think I, I think I've covered it. How about you? Pretty good. I enjoy it. Um, I don't know if I, like the the instinct for me when something someone describes a work song or whatever is mm. either something that explicitly derives from a trade mm. i think of like shanties or something that not only are thematically related to the profession of sailing or whatever but also you know, like rhythmically they're designed to be sung while you do the job yeah exactly yeah and i'm I'm sure there are other similar work songs and you know similar professions but either that or i think of work songs as like Almost like union songs or whatever. Mm. Or labour songs from, you know, songs derived from the labour movement. Yeah. Particularly in the sort of first half of the 20th century. I don't know, there's certainly an ambiguity as to whether that that's whether this song is kind of referencing those specifically or whether it's just... If it does, it's, it's fairly veiled, isn't it? Yeah. Although possibly, like, what we want and what we need has been confused, maybe. Could be alluding to something in that sort of a direction, but... It's very oblique. Yeah, and like not seeing these things in isolation, I think there's certainly several other tracks on this that have similar, vaguely similar themes, mm. which we'll talk about. But who knows? Who knows? Who can know the mind of REM? Minds. Mind? The collective mind. The hive mind. 
of R.E.M. The collective consciousness of R.E.M. Not I. Uh, but we'll be back to explore more of it next time. Indeed. Uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, as ever. Thank you. Right, take care. Bye. Bye. Turn on narrator. Toggle switch. On. GDGCpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Yardstick. <laughs>